0: Well, good evening, LCM. Good evening. Tonight is September 29th. Our message tonight will be called The Heroic Cup. So you can go ahead and write that down. Cups in the Bible are used in a variety of ways, and they convey some meanings that are important throughout the Scripture. To share a cup is to share an experience.
1: It is to share the same outcome and fate with somebody. Cups in the Bible are an interesting thing when you consider that it is sharing an experience. We're not going to cover it at this moment, but cups can be filled with wrath. Cups can also be filled with blessings. Cups can be filled with tribulations that in the end result in blessings. But once again, a cup is a shared experience. Did you know in the Bible that
0: grooms made their proposals and it wasn't always down on one knee in fact that's kind of a modern thing the more traditional way to do this in biblical times was that a groom would show up with a glass of wine and he would make his proposal and of course if the prospective bride accepted the proposal the way that she accepted it was by drinking of the same cup that he did This would indicate their new betrothed status. More than that, it would show that they were mutually engaged in being prepared for the culmination that would come upon them on the great day of their union. Now, they also, when they got married, would share a cup on the day of the culmination of their marriage, (laughs) indicating another level of oneness that would happen. But all these things were done through cups. The idea is that two people would act in a plural unity with one fate, one outcome, one shared experience, never again to be separate. There's a lot that we have to talk to you about on this point, and we want you to understand
1: it, so we thought we'd give you a visual example. Who should we choose? Perhaps if uh, Nick and Anna could come up for a moment, that, oh, that might be helpful. Yes. Yeah, it seems like a good idea.
0: Oh, no, all the way up. All the way up. We going on up. Is there something that you could do that would demonstrate this principle for us?
2: Sweetheart, I want to tell you that the Lord has shown me about you. He has given me five Abigails about you. He's shown me that you will be servant hearted, that you would be zealous for him, that you would have a compassionate heart when you serve others, that you would be fearful, fear fierce and courageous as you go after what he has called you to do, and that you'll be faithfully devoted to this way of life. I even dreamt about you, and I couldn't believe it. And then I asked him for another sign, and he gave it to me. And in that sign, I couldn't resist, I couldn't hesitate. I had to share it with my brother. I had to let him know, hey, the Lord has shown me that you will be the one that I will marry. Sweetheart, I love you. And he has given us a mezuzah, birthed out of each other's scriptures, mine being Isaiah 61, yours being Luke 4.18. And I come to realize that I cannot complete this calling that he has on my life without you being present. So I want to ask you here in front of our family, in front of our congregation, baby, will you marry me? (laughs) Amen. (laughs)
0: of a shared experience! Now we're not gonna ask this couple how much they long to have the next cup of wine. That should be patently obvious. Amen, you guys have a seat. We're all excited for it. one more time, a hand for them. So a cup is about a
1: shared, a shared Well, saints, now that you understand the biblical concept of a cup and a shared experience, oh, yeah. it's time for us to start our sermon. Yeah. Hey, what was our title? You should remember it's called the Heroic, heroic Cup. Heroic. Somebody say Heroic Cup. Heroic saints, Cup. Saints, we're going to go right back to the book of Genesis. In the 38th chapter. As you begin to turn there, I want to remind you of some of the context that has been built in recent sermons. Genesis 38 is not a shining moment, particularly the first verse. Judah is not only said to have left his brothers, but to have gone down from where his brothers are at. Can I tell you, anytime you're leaving the house of God, leaving unity with brothers, it is a downgrade? Well, that downgrade in Judah's life continued he lost sons. He lost his wife. He was brought to the low point in his life. We're going to pick up in verse 26. And as you're contemplating this low point in his life, I want you to interact with what I read. Then Judah identified them and said, She is more righteous than I, since I did not give her to my son Sheila. And he did not know her again. Saints, this conception, Genesis 38, verse 26, what has been conceived is the epitome, the greatest sign of Judah's failure in his life. It is the proof, not of tomorrow's righteousness, but of his great unrighteousness. The sign that not only has he been downgraded from his brothers, watched his family be torn apart, but now he has given birth to something that God did not intend to be brought about in that manner. And he is wearing it in this verse. This is the conception of his lowest, darkest moment. How many of you would like to
0: keep reading and move on from that thought? Verse 27, when the time of her labor came, there were twins in her womb. And when she was in labor, one put out a hand, and the midwife took and tied a scarlet thread on his hand, saying, this one came out first. But as he drew back his hand, behold, somebody say behold. Behold. His brother came out, and she said, What a breach you have made for yourself. Ow! Therefore, his name was called Perez. Afterward, his brother came out with a scarlet thread on his hand, and his name was called Zerah. How strange is it that at the very moment that is the lowest, where it looks like Judah has conceived his worst failure, something else is being conceived as well. The very sign of his breakthrough is also being conceived in the midst of the surrounding failure. He is in the midst of his darkest moment, and in that moment, a breakthrough is being born. you remember that our pastors blessed us with this slide. Perez is the first of ten generations that would lead us to King David. Come on. At the moment of Judah's darkest hour for his family line, when it looks like he had conceived total failure, God had in mind something else. How often is it that the moment that we feel humiliated, covered in shame, and we did it to ourselves, God has something better in mind for us. In fact, our pastors took us deep into the text this last Sunday You'll remember this next slide had to do with equidistant letter spacings. In intervals of seven times seven, a jubilee kind of number, 49 letter skips. The actual genealogy that would lead us from Boaz to Ruth to Obed to Jesse to David was present in the text. At the very same moment that your greatest failures are conceived, it may be that God is also supernaturally bringing about the conception of your breakout moment. Perez means breakout. It means breach. And what is patently clear from Genesis 38 is that just under the text, just beyond the surface of what you can see, God had already planned redemption to come right out of the darkest moment And it was there before anybody realized that it was there. This brings us to an interesting point. Can we get real with you for a minute? Somebody say Cody Stevens. Cody Cody Stevens. Stevens. Woo! I'm talking about Cody Stevens. I'm thinking about Zachariah Spites. Y'all love little Zachariah? Thinking about Jonah Riosorah. Talking about Cameron, maybe even Zadok Smith in this house. They may not appear to be the most victorious of sprinters that you have ever laid your eyes on. The words fleet of foot may not come to your mind immediately. But at some point in their lives, in fact, at the very conception of their lives, they had to outpace Every other contender to reach a supernatural conception. See, if you're alive in this room, are you alive tonight? Yeah, then it's because you were born
1: of a victorious seed. Yeah. In fact, Peter the Apostle may have commented on this very subject. First Peter 1, verse 22 says having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere, brotherly love. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, a victorious seed through the living and abiding word of God. Saints, to be in the faith, means that you were supernaturally born of an eternal and victorious seed. Something that God calls to come to pass. You've been born from above in Perez-like moments. I'm talking about those greatest signs of failure. Well, those moments are only temporary. Yeah. The lowest moments of your life in this house. Well, there's something written beneath the text. There's something at work that is a supernatural conception. There is something in the midst of conceived loss, shame, overt failure, well, it has another supernatural side of the coin. That supernatural side in the coin is those Perez-like breakout moments that are your victory. See, God has plans for your success in this room. He has already written it, it's already in the text, and He knows what He will produce through those generations that are ahead. It is already underlying your present situation. In the same way that God's
0: solution in the genealogy that is encoded into the text underlays the outward circumstantial failure of Judah's line. I want you to know that in your darkest moments, in your lowest moments, these may seem to be a sign of Perez in your life like I have birthed for myself a terrible situation, and yet God has encoded into his plan for you a supernatural conception, and it is not just your lowest moment, it is also your breakout moment. This is when you realize how badly you need Him. This is when you realize what happens when you walk away from Him and you throw it into breakout speed and God helps you move forward in His plan. In fact, the Apostle John had something to say about this. This is 1 John 3 and verse 9. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. He didn't say that we don't sin. He said that we don't make it our practice to sin. For God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. Friends, your Perez moment is also your breakthrough moment. None of us want humiliation None of us want to be covered in shame. None of us want to get it wrong. But it is in the moments when all of those things are present and it is undeniable that you realize God already has a plan for your success and it underlies this situation and it's about
1: to break through. Somebody say amen. Amen. Saints, we're a church that loves the Word of God. We work to be scholarly in every way. There are men in this room who can read the text in Greek. There are men in this room who can read the text in Hebrew. Tonight, I would like you to reread this verse in the Holy Ghost for just a moment. Some of you heard this, and you heard it down in your soul. I can't keep on sinning, or I'm not of God. I want you to read this as the Spirit is highlighting it to you this evening. If you are born of God, you will not keep on sinning. Why? Why? Because his seed abides in you, man of God. His work is in you. His plan is in motion. And he is bringing you into a breakout moment. When we're speaking of Perez, when we're speaking of breakthrough moments, well, it's only fitting that we look at 2 Samuel and remember that our pastors, and in an illustrious, eloquent sermon, they already told us about the context of this passage. Pastor Matthew Pastor Wade, they told us that David had been anointed and he had undergone a long process to be recognized as king by all Israel, even though he was anointed years in advance. All along the way, David focused on something that was unique, that was empowering. He focused on making his men great, and in turn, they saw him as king. Were you blessed by that, church? At this point in our story, the 12 tribes... Well, they've recognized David as king. But you know who has not recognized David as king? The world at large. The Gentile powers all around. They have not recognized his right to rule. So we want to look at Israel's interaction with a people called the Philistines in 2 Samuel 5, verse 17. When the Philistines heard that
0: David had been anointed king over Israel, all of the Philistines went up to search for David. I'll give you a hint. They're not searching for him because they're happy with him. But David heard of it and went down to the stronghold. Now the Philistines had come and spread out in the valley of Rephaim. And David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you give them into my hand? And the Lord said to David, Go up, for I will certainly give the Philistines into your hand. And David came to Baal-perazim, and David defeated them there. And he said, the Lord has broken through my enemies before me like a breaking flood. Therefore, the name of the place is called Baal-perazim. And the Philistines left their idols there, and David and his men carried them away. Church, so many of us have gathered to King Jesus Have you gathered the King Jesus? Hallelujah. He has anointed us. Have you been anointed of the Holy Ghost? Yes. And he is making us kings right alongside him. He is the king of kings. He is making you kingly. However, the presence of the Philistines within each of our own individual kingdoms is still very much a reality. (laughs) I'm talking about feelings of defeat. You are a believer, but correct me if I'm wrong. Even though you're a believer, you still have some Philistine insecurities, don't you? You still have some Philistine appraisals of yourself and other people regarding them according to the flesh. Philistine doubts regarding your ability to walk with the Lord. Anybody in here feel like you only fall on your face? That's Philistine doubt. Sometimes we're even prone to Philistine solutions. Like leaning on our own arm and trying to simply become more disciplined. I do that, yeah. Some of you in here, including us, often have Philistine relationships. We're in this together. No, it's different. Every man for himself. Retreat. There are Philistines within our kingdom Even though King Jesus is King. We're in a time in this church when we're learning to fight for our brothers. Hallelujah. We are standing in unity under the one true King. Somebody say hallelujah. Hallelujah. We want to see our brothers made into kings again. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And yet we're not free of Philistine thinking
1: and Philistine behavior. Those behaviors, those true realities that live in that kingdom with us, well, they can often feel like the ultimate failure. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I do. The more that Christ has done for you, the more overwhelming it can feel to recognize how much Philistine is still in your kingdom. See, the thing is that we've come to another Perez moment, another Breakout moment that only happens in the midst of that dark hour. Let's describe that dark hour for you one more time.
0: You have no problem saying that you were a sinner and you came to Jesus. You have no problem saying occasionally you still have some serious problems. The real problem comes when you fall on your face on Monday. And you're like, I don't want to do that again. I'm not going to do that again. But on Tuesday... You fall on your face in a slightly different way that is similar. And do it again on Wednesday. Are these not dark Philistine feelings? You know Jesus is Lord. You know what you want to do. You know that he is king. You know you're being made into a king. And yet you are overwhelmed by the constant presence of Philistines in your life. There was not just one battle at baal Perizim. There were two. Sometimes, these big boys,
1: they take two. <laughs> at this point, it's probably worth taking a look at what Beryl Perizim means. We have a slide for you. Beryl Perizim means Lord of Breaking Through. Somebody say, breaking. 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 It's great when you have a breakthrough. I mean, Cody, I, I need a breakthrough, man. But as was just described, what happens on Tuesday when you need another breakthrough? See, God is being described here as not just the God of a single deliverance. Not as the God who saved you one time. But as the God of breaking through. As in a continual way. The God who is ready at every turn. Has already written the script and is waiting to take those dark moments and produce something in them that is salvation. As we noted earlier, there's not just one battle with the Philistines. If you look at verse 22, you're going to see this progress. Once more, the Philistines came up. Well, praise God, he's not the God of the breakthrough, because David would be in really big trouble right now if he wasn't the God who continued to break through.
0: Somebody say, same kind of battle?
1: Same kind of battle. battle.
0: Same dark valley. Same Same dark dark valley. Oh, can you not feel that for a moment? When you find yourself in the same place fighting with the same enemy all over again.
1: Oh, come on. And they spread out in the valley of the Rephaim. Do a word study on that sometime. You have a better understanding of the thought play that is at war with you. So David inquired of the Lord, and he answered, Do not go straight up, but circle around behind them and attack them in front of the balsam trees. As soon as you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the balsam trees, move quickly. Because this will mean the Lord has gone out in front of you to strike the Philistine army. So David did as the Lord commanded him. And he struck down the Philistines all the way from Gibeon to Gezu. Wow. Encountering Philistine behavior,
0: especially repeatedly, can feel defeating, can it? Has anybody ever been discouraged by your own track record? Yes. The thing is, God already has plans that underlie your current situation and they are for your success. The thing is that this is not just the moment of another failure. This is the moment of the Lord breaking through for you. Somebody say, Lord, breaking through. Lord, breaking through. You ought to be able to hear Heaven's armies gathering in the treetops. All you're going to actually have to do is learn to take your next step of faith. God has heaven above you fighting for you, but you need to learn to put your feet beneath you, moving in the direction of heroic faith. What you need is the courage to take the next step despite your lack of progress. This, too, comes from the Lord. Look, speaking of courage, let's look at something else that happened in the exact same historical setting. Okay, we've done the law, and we've done the prophets. Where do we go to find out about strength? Oh, yeah. We're going to be in First Chronicles 11, and I'm going to start in verse 15.
1: Three of the 30 chief men went down to the rock to David at the cave of Adullam. Anybody remember that context? Now, you're flashing forward in history. When? When the army of Philistines was encamped in the valley of Rephaim. David was then in the stronghold, and the garrison of the Philistines was then at Bethlehem. And David said longingly, Oh, that someone would give me water to drink from the well of Bethlehem that is by the gate. Then the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines, And drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate, and took it and brought it to David. But David would not drink it. He poured it out to the Lord and said, Far be it from me, before my God, that I should do this. Shall I drink the lifeblood of these men? For at the risk of their lives, they brought it. Therefore, he would not drink it. These things did the three mighty men. Now, church... You are biblically astute. At
0: least most of you are. (laughs) You know that this is occurring during the battle of Baal-Perazim. Do you see the same historical setting and context? This is in the middle of the Lord breaking through with the armies of heaven in the trees and the armies of God in the soldiers on earth. Can we turn this story upside down for you just a little bit? You've heard Justin Treester preach on this in amazing ways. You've heard our pastor share on it in amazing ways. We want to turn the 70-sided jewel for you just a little bit. What if the king had been the one that went to get the water? Let me just describe that to you for a minute. David did not drink this because the men brought it to him. But let's turn the story slightly. What if the king descended from his throne to the position of a common foot soldier? Come on. What if the king was the one who went behind the enemy lines to Bethlehem? What if the king who drew the water from the wells of Bethlehem so that he could provide living water that would be breakthrough strength for the Baal-Perazim battle for his men? Do you think the men would have refused to drink it. See, in this passage, the water is called life blood. Is it actually blood, church? No. It's likened unto the life blood because the men did it at the risk of their life. But what if we were not talking about the men bringing it? What if we were talking about David
1: doing it? Judah, is there a story like that in the Bible? John 6, 53. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. So interact with this for just a minute. Jesus, as our great and holy king, Jesus, King Jesus, he did descend from his throne to the position of a common foot soldier. No beauty or majesty, a little lower than the angels. King Jesus was the one who, who went behind enemy lines to Bethlehem, even preached to spirits in prison. King Jesus was the one and the only one who could draw water from the wells of Bethlehem to provide living water, that kind of living water that brought breakthrough, Baal Perizim for his men, for his disciples and those who followed him. Can you really refuse to drink from his heroic cup? See, so you dream about
0: being the one that takes the refreshing water to the king. Can I tell you the king doesn't need your help? You need his help. Can you really refuse to drink from the heroic cup
1: that is the king's lifeblood? See, in both passages, living water, it's equated with lifeblood. So why did David refuse to drink the cup? but we must drink the cup. Isn't that a good question? It was the king's desire to bring the breakthrough for his men. In fact, it was his job. It was not within the ability of the men to bring the breakthrough. The king
0: is the savior of the people. The people are not the savior of the king. Let me tell you, that's good news for you. Because you need saving. You need his help. You need his breakthrough. He has no need of you saving him. Peter learned that lesson. Oh no, Lord, you will never be crucified. He said, get behind me, Satan. Peter needed
1: the king's help. The king did not need his help. See, there's a symbology here that we should learn between David and the son of David. David would not drink what the men provided Have you not heard Jesus say, I do not entrust myself to men? But we must drink what he, the King of kings, has provided in the heroic cup. Now, just in case you're wondering about the context of John 6, you should remember it is preceded by a chapter called 4. Chapter 4, verse 10 in the Gospel of John says, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. So just
0: in case you think we're making up what is clearly Jesus illustrating a remez off of David's behavior, we want you to catch that John chapter 4 introduces the idea of a supernatural cup. See, at the cost of his lifeblood, Jesus is offering living water to a woman who has found herself in the lowest place in her life. Yeah. Let that settle on you. This is also a moment where there can be supernatural conception. All of those devices that might be used to prevent it are gone. She's stripped away There are no more defenses. Do you remember what she said? I met a man that told me everything I ever did. She's laid bare. This is the Perez moment that is wonderful. Failure is evident before all, which means that God can conceive of something supernaturally that he gets credit for. This is the Lord of breaking through. Baal Perezim. This is where you get to join in the heroic cup. Come on. We cannot refuse the heroic cup of the king in our low moments. I'm unworthy. I can't. No, it's because you're unworthy that you must. I'm a failure, I can't. I I just can't go forward. No, it's because you're a failure that you must go forward. It is the heroic cup of the king that has been provided by his lifeblood and is being poured out like water for your breakthrough moment. Will you refuse him? If you're still wondering, well, that's kind of a neat thing that you did. I've never heard that before. Perhaps we should consider the chapter after John 6. I think, yes, I'm still right. It's John chapter
1: 7.
0: Remember, what is a cup? It's a shared. It's where two parties enter into a plural unity because they have a joint experience. Cups are not about you simply receiving something. They're about you sharing in the experience and becoming one, just like Nick and Anna will become
1: one. So this is John 7, verse 37. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Saints, answer me Were you thirsty when he first saved you? Is he the God of one breakthrough, or is he the God of breaking through? And yet, somehow, we are shocked and surprised when we grow thirsty again. When we reach a perizim kind of moment. When our desperate need arises again and we desire to drink of a cup. And yet, God brought his people into a desert so that they would desire to drink of the cup. When you're contemplating this passage, you need to know to start with that a Jewish commentator named Rashi says that David poured out the water because the Lord on the Feast of Tabernacles, before the Lord. Yeah. Rashi, when commenting on Chronicles chapter 11,
0: makes the point that David took their mighty act of faith and poured it out before the Lord at the point in the Tabernacles Feast where you're pouring water from the wells of salvation into earthen
1: vessels. That's what Rashi said about it. I, I can tell. We only got about 10% of you. Yeah, that. it's okay. On this feast in tabernacles, the tradition is that you're pouring water into another vessel. It is symbolizing what God said he would do. It relates to Isaiah and the way that he would pour out salvation that would overflow to the nations. So See, this- He would pour it from
0: a golden vessel into 12 earthen vessels, and those 12 earthen vessels would display it to the world and pour it out to them. As Judah walks you through John 7, notice the shared experience. You are not just drinking from the heroic cup. You are becoming a fountain that is a
1: heroic cup for your brothers. So we already told you, the rabbis say that David did this during tabernacles. Now Jesus is standing at the Feast of Tabernacles, pouring out his life blood, which is living water. One and the same. He's doing it before his Father in heaven, but he is doing it for his brothers and those that are around him. See, a cup is a shared experience. Those who drink the living water and the life blood of the king, then they become a heroic cup to be poured out before their father and for their brothers. When we say a cup is a shared experience, those who drink of this living water, they are obligated, they are empowered, and they are able to do the same as David and the son of David. Your Baal-Perazim moments
0: the moments where you feel lower than a dog and yet underlying that situation is God's desire to have you move forward in faith because he's already planned the solution. When you have the courage to say, yes, Lord, I will drink of that cup, you become for other men their Baal
1: Perizim moment. Let me help you with this practically. What this means is that we choose to participate in his heroic cup Time and time again, allowing ourselves to be desperate, to be thirsty, but all the while possessing the faith, possessing the courage to know he has already written out the plan. The plan is already there in the dark situation. It is underlying for your success. It is the belief that heaven is marching alongside you, even though you do not see it in this moment, and God supernaturally empowers you to see breakthrough in your life and the life of others around you. Have you ever got into that position where you're like, Lord, I've, I've so let
0: you down, I just don't know how to move forward? Yes, well, when did you ever get it so right that you deserved him to be with you in the first place? He had a plan to trade his life for yours from the beginning. And what it requires of you is to join the heroic cup and say, I will share your fate if you will give me yours. This becomes something that the world cannot
1: ignore. Now that you understand that we are participators in the heroic cup, that we are sharing the fate of the author, our lifeblood is poured out like his. Like living water. We're going to turn to Philippians 2 with you. While you guys are turning to Philippians
0: 2, I have a serious question for you. And if you yawned, get over yourself. Do you want to drink from the heroic cup? Well, that is half of this battle. But that is less than half of what we're trying to share with you. You have to first drink from a heroic cup to have anything to offer. This means that you recognize your king at the risk of his own life has made it possible for you to be redeemed in an ongoing fashion, even though you still fail in an ongoing fashion. Once you have the courage to drink of that cup, you become something altogether more. You share the experience of your king. Listen to Philippians 2, 14. Before I move forward with this, who is he writing to? He's writing to believers, those that have shared in the heroic cup, and yet he is still talking to them about how to become blameless. He's still talking to them about how to shine like a light. He's still talking to them about how to be different than the crooked and depraved generation that they're a part of. You know what? Philippians had problems just like you have problems. Look at Paul's example. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Now, Paul has only said this after detailing in verses 3 through 8 the way that King Jesus, the son of David, descended as a lowly foot soldier, went behind enemy lines, and provided a heroic cup for us to drink from, and gave us our breakthrough moment, or better said, our Lord of the breaking through moment. Now, we see Paul who drank of that cup setting an example for us in that he is pouring out his own life in a joint cup of heroic lifeblood being poured out like water for who? For his brothers. Why do you continue? Say, I just want to die and get out of here. Maybe I'll still go be with Jesus No, it is better for you that I continue, better that I fight through every failure, better that I take the next step. I joined in the heroic
1: cup, and I will not back away from giving it to you through my every action. See, Paul understood what he had received. He drank of the heroic cup that came from the son of David. So he himself emulated his example, making himself a lowly foot soldier. Refusing to claim what he could by his own right because he wanted to serve his brothers. Paul went behind enemy lines. You ever read Acts 19? Paul put himself in a situation where he's surrounded so that he might provide the same heroic cup to those who would come after him. He understood what his king had done for him. And he was doing it for the Philippians church and now he's telling them, likewise. You also should be glad and rejoice in the same process with me. King David poured
0: out the cup like water before the Lord as an offering. And he did it out of respect for the lives of his men. What King Jesus did is poured out his blood like water. And he did it before his father, but for his His brothers, not out of respect for them risking their lives, as a wedding invitation for them to also join him in risking their lives. Friends, the heroic cup is a joint cup and
1: a shared experience. Speaking of wedding invitations, Revelation 22, verse 16 says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root And the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. See, you should remember in 2 Samuel 5, this was David's coronation over all Israel. This was the day that he married the kingdom of Israel. He understood on the day that he married them. It was now his job to provide redemption for his bride. And a husband in this house, say amen. Amen. The son of David, Jesus the Christ, marries his bride when we join in that heroic cup. You are his ambassador in his absence. He poured out his cup upon us so that we would carry that same heroic cup to the ends of the earth. He has provided redemption for us now. The great triumph of the son of David is that his bride pours out the same cup for the redemption of our brothers. So let's just get this straight in our closing moments. We will not
0: expect Anna to save Nick Rosales. We do expect Nick Rosales to save Anna. David did not need the cup that the men provided for him, and it would be wrong for him to take it. He is the king. They are the bride. He wanted to provide for them redemption. David is but a shadow. The real type is found in Christ. He gives us the heroic cup. Now, how is it that we honor that? You go and search Psalm 116 and you find out you keep your vow. You are the bride of Christ. The entire Revelation story is about the bride imitating the behavior of her husband. He poured out his life unto death to benefit others and bring them to the Lord. And that is what we as the bride now do that we've been given his name. Do you know why? Why? Because we shared the cup. Sunday, you drank of the cup of communion. This was your pledge then. It is a heroic cup. It requires you to acknowledge that you have failed, may yet fail, and probably will fail in the future, and yet you will not stop because a king gave his life for you to continue in faith. In every low moment, in every dark corner, You can look at it and say, even in this situation, God has written my redemptive story right beneath this text. I will take the
1: heroic cup, and I will step forward and offer it to others. John 10, 18, Jesus says that he lays down his life of his own accord. No one takes it from him. Did Anybody have to talk Nick Rosales into doing what he did a few minutes ago? Or was that willing? See, the example that is laid before us is of a great king and a great groom that willingly laid down his life to provide that heroic cup. See, we've been talking about something with some of you called triangulation. What that is is praying, searching the Word, and looking at what God is speaking to you. Looking at what God is speaking to the church and asking the Father to show you The connecting point. What is it he desires for his whole bride that we are a part of? What does he desire for this congregation? Well, we want to tell you tonight after hearing the pastors preach about the Adulam event. After hearing about Sign Sealed and Delivered on Tuesday. Sign Sealed and Delivered! And personally wrestling in low moments. That are also perizeme moments where you find out who the God of breakthrough is. That the Spirit of Christ is speaking to us about drinking from that heroic cup and then pouring ourselves out for our brothers that they might share in the same experience. See, no one is going to take your life from you and produce a heroic cup. A heroic cup only comes when you willingly lay it down for those that are around you. Our pastors gave us jewels on Sunday. And i like to take
0: the jewels that my pastors have given me and see all of the ways that we might reflect on them. To take them into the storehouse of God's treasury and compare them with the things that he has been sharing and try to triangulate where we should move as a body. Can I tell you that we have a prophetic scripture for you to end on? Okay? If John 6.53 and 1 Chronicles 11.19 were not enough for you, and I challenge you to go look in any commentary ever produced and see if you can find what we've said, and you'll find out just what a gem it is not revealed to other men. We have a closing thought for you, and it comes from Psalm 57. I heard one of our pastors mention this. And inside my spirit, something left. And I wanted to say, yes, yes, stand up, yes, now. Except we still had more to learn. So we're going to do it right here. Psalm 57 in verse 7. My heart is steadfast. Yeah. Is that because the man was perfect? Steadfast means he sat on that heroic cup no matter what. My heart is steadfast, O oh God. My heart is steadfast. Well, why'd you have to say it twice, big boy? <laughs> yeah, he's working up his steadfastness. My heart is steadfast, O oh God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake, my glory. Awake, O oh harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. This does not say I will wake up at dawn or Charlie Brown would be right. This says I will awake the dawn. Well, listen to me, church, every one of you. The dawn is when it is still dark. But you know something underlies the horizon. You know that the sun is going to break forth. You know that God plans for better than this for you. And you decide with song, with steadfast heart, with bold prophetic proclamation. I will awaken the dawn. You're going to have to speak to your circumstances. You're going to have to awaken the dawn. This is your Baal perizim moment. The Lord of breaking through will cause you to grab hold of the heroic cup. And your brothers on your left and right will realize they can do it too. In fact, that's why we're doing it. We're going to raise an army like the army of
1: God in this room. Saints, you can cause the dawn to break through Anytime you decide to willingly pour your life out as a heroic cup. See, it doesn't matter how dark, difficult, or unfair your circumstances feel or look. The moment that you decide, God gave me the gift to pour my life out now is a moment that God is breaking through. And it is for the saving of many lives. Verse 9 goes on to say, I will give thanks to the Lord. Has the psalmist seen what he has asked for yet? But he says, I will give thanks to you. O Lord, among the peoples, I will sing praises to you among the nations. Saints, there's a truth tonight that we have to grab hold of. Our God has spoken to us about what will happen in generations ahead. You may often sit in this church and wonder what part you play in that. You may be for it, may be excited about it, but on a weekly level, you don't know how you affect the nations. Saints, tonight you have heard it. It is choosing to willingly drink of that heroic cup and pour your life out before God and for your brothers willingly. Doing that will cause thankfulness for God to arise. Doing that will cause the people of God to praise the Almighty. Doing that will command the obedience of the nations and bring them to the king who originally gave you his cup to drink from. This evening, if you would like to turn on circumstances, turn on internal battles with Philistines and decide to willingly drink of the cup, Stand with us. Our altar response this evening is one of a voluntary response before God that says, yes. Yes, I am flawed. Yes, I am broken. Yes, I believe you and I trust you. Yes, I will drink of the cup that you have provided. And I will go and do the same for the brothers that are around me. So Let me ask you, if you knew you were broken before you walked in here, what benefit is there in crying and weeping over your brokenness after this sermon, sitting here at an altar? All you're doing is commiserating with those that are around you and saying, yes, we're broken. But what great power might we find in standing together, worshiping a holy God, saying, I recognize you did do that for me and I didn't deserve it then, I don't deserve it now, but I'm gonna follow you in the same example. Well, then we might collectively pour out a cup that sees the nations turn back to the King of Kings. Mighty one, we thank you for this body. We thank you for the men and women that are in this room. Holy one, we're asking right now. Lord, that you would move in us to respond to the grace that you have shown us. Lord, we say we wish to drink of that cup. Lord, we willingly accept sacrifice. We willingly accept hardship. We accept the battle and say, we want to live as you live. Pour our lives out like a drink offering for the faith of those that are around us. one, we wish to see them saved. Show
2: us how to lay our lives down for the in the same way that you did, Mighty One.